Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. On Wednesday, former special counsel Robert Mueller testified publicly before two separate congressional panels. The Judiciary Committee will come to order. The hearings marked the first time Mueller answered questions about his investigation of President Trump and Russian interference in the 2016 election. Mueller spent the first half of the day in front of the House Judiciary Committee. Let me say one more thing. Over the course of my career, I have seen a number of challenges to our democracy. The Russian government's effort to interfere in our election is among the most serious. As I said on May 29th, this deserves the attention of every American. He spent much of the afternoon in front of the House Intelligence Committee. As we explained in our report, the special counsel regulations effectively gave me the role of United States attorney. As a result, we structured our investigation around evidence for possible use in prosecution of federal crimes. We did not reach what you would call counterintelligence conclusions. Democratic lawmakers largely focused on episodes outlined in Mueller's report as potential obstruction of justice by President Trump. Republicans tried to focus on the reasons and circumstances under which Mueller's investigation began. Mueller, meanwhile, headed into Wednesday's hearings, saying that he preferred not to say more about his work in public. So with these competing interests, did the American public actually learn anything new about Mueller's more than two-year-long investigation? Let's find out. This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. Matt Zapatosky, The Post's Justice Department reporter, covered the hearings live. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's talk about the strategies heading into this from the perspective of the Democrats and Republicans when it went into Wednesday's testimony. Mm -hmm. Democrats have been preparing for this for, for some time. What were their objectives? So I think they knew that Mueller did not want to speak beyond the report. So one of their objectives was just to get him to say things in the report, unflattering things for Trump, particularly on the question of obstruction, out loud. Just get him to say those things. So that was one thing they were going to do. They were also going to try to pry new information from him. Like their holy grail was for to get him to say, yes, the evidence was substantial to charge President Trump with obstruction of justice. It always seemed unlikely that was going to happen, though there were a couple slip ups where it sort of came close, one of which Mueller had to correct later. So that and then just getting Mueller to to read things out loud. That's what they went into it thinking they would sort of accomplish. It also seemed just from my watching it that the Democrats had decided to thank Mueller for his service before they even launched into their questions almost in every case. Yeah, they did. They wanted to build him up. He's such an important figure and they had put so much of their hope for some kind of, I mean, some people want impeachment, some people don't, but anything bad for Trump, they had put so many hopes 
with this guy. So one of their aims, of course, is to build up this guy. He's a longtime registered Republican, a war hero, an FBI director who served for 12 years, even though he normally only served for 10 because there was just nobody else better around when his 10 years were (laughs) up. So he's a very well-respected guy. And part of what I think they set out to do was to build him up. And that would give so much more credibility when he talked about President Trump. Okay, and what about the Republicans? What What was their approach? Well, Republicans seem to try to attack him. They have all these concerns about his investigation, about the origins of it, about the role that this opposition research document that everybody has come to know as the dossier played in kind of spinning the thing forward. They had questions about bias among some members of his team. Two members of his team um, very famously exchanged a bunch of anti-Trump text messages. One of them was removed when that was found out. The other had already left. But so they wanted to focus on that. Mueller just wasn't willing to go there, kind of for both sides. He wasn't willing for Democrats to just read passages out loud. He would just say, I refereed my report, or that's correct, that's in the report. Um, and for Republicans, too, when they'll ask dossier question, dossier question, dossier question, it's just, I'm not going to get into that. That's outside my purview. Just repeated deflections on the two things that, that both sides wanted to ask about. Yeah, so you have the Democrats with their agenda, the Republicans with their agenda, and seemingly Mueller with his adamance that he will not go beyond what the report says. He even laid this out in his opening remarks. As I said on May 29th, the report is my testimony, and I will stay within that text. Why? What do we know about Mueller's reasoning for limiting his public words about his work? So Mueller essentially has come to the conclusion that they spent a lot, a lot of time carefully deciding what words to put in that 448-page report. And he doesn't want to go a step beyond that, nor does he really want to walk anything back. That's what he wants to be kind of the record of his investigation For history, he said something to that effect at the hearing. So he didn't want to step in any way on that. He just didn't want to go beyond that report. He views himself as a classic prosecutor. And a prosecutor normally doesn't ever come to Congress, period. They either indict someone or they say nothing. Mueller's a little bit weird because he's a special counsel investigating the president. And he has has come to Congress before. He has come to Congress before, not since he's been special counsel. He came when he was FBI director. He has spoken publicly about this before, just one time when he had a press conference and he took no questions. This is the first time he's taken questions. But he just viewed his role as, I've said what I said, and that's that. And that kind of goes to his kind of prosecutor mentality. Okay, so that's sort of where we stood heading into Wednesday, where we know all the parties stood. Let's talk about what actually happened on Wednesday. Did we see Mueller diverge from his stated intention to not go beyond the content of the report? Mostly no. He tried very, very hard to not go beyond the report. He stuck to the script. He wouldn't even read passages out loud. Democrats repeatedly would try different ways to get him to read passages out loud or describe in his own words passages. So they'd read something and say, is that what your report says? He'd say, correct. At one point, someone asked him, I forget who, can you tell me what you meant by that? And he just won't. He just won't. He wouldn't go beyond that. He's like, well, the report speaks for itself. Um, so he really did s- try to stick to the report. How much of that is Robert Mueller and how much of that is how a prosecutor should behave when they're being questioned by Congress? I think a lot of that is Robert Mueller because you see law enforcement officials 
all up and down the spectrum. I mean, think about Jim Comey talking about the Hillary Clinton email investigation. He's much more conversational, offering kind of his personal perspective, really getting into details that that aren't just sort of out there already. But Robert Mueller is like a hardcore guy. He doesn't want to go beyond that report. And that's just his personality. There are some prosecutors who would probably be a little more comfortable, at least putting in their own words, like what they said. But Robert Mueller really wasn't even wanting to do that. And I think that's a personality thing. Though the Justice Department did provide some guidelines over what he could and couldn't say. They did. Uh, Robert Mueller asked for those. And in some ways, I think that gave him a lot of cover. I mean, in a lot of instances, he just had to say, I'm not answering that. But in some instances, he was able to say, well, that's covered by the deliberative process, which the Justice Department said you can't talk about that. I think he kind of liked that. I have this top cover from the Justice Department. They told me I can't do this, so I can refer to that. Let's move on to sort of the top line takeaways. Mueller confirmed that his investigation did not completely and totally exonerate Trump, as the president has repeatedly claimed. Specifically, during his first response to Representative Madler, he said... The finding indicates that uh, the president uh, was not, uh, that the president was not exculpated uh, for the acts that uh, he allegedly committed. Are there new implications of Mueller saying that sentence out loud? Well, that's what he has said in his report. That certainly is a soundbite that Democrats will be able to use. It's not wholly new, but it is a nice soundbite for Democrats to use, you know, as they campaign against Trump. Nadler also asked if the president under Justice Department policy could potentially be prosecuted for obstruction of justice after he leaves office. But under DOJ, under Department of Justice policy... The president could be prosecuted for obstruction of justice crimes after he leaves offices, correct? True. Was that new information that the OLC guidance meant the president could potentially be charged after leaving office? No, but that is interesting to hear Mueller say out loud. We knew that the OLC guidance only governs a sitting president. And there are ways that a sitting president could be charged pretty quickly. The one way that comes to mind immediately is Congress impeaches him, he's removed, and then he's prosecuted. Another way is he would just leave office. This is a very unique case, and they didn't go down this road, but the attorney general, Bill Barr, who essentially is Mueller's boss in this in this instance, came in over top of him where Mueller wouldn't decide. Bill Barr said, I do decide. There is not a prosecutable case of obstruction. And that makes it so in this particular instance, it would be sort of unheard of for prosecutors later after Trump uh, left office. Let's say he lost in 2020. He leaves office for a new president and a new Justice Department come in and say, eh, the previous Justice Department was wrong. We're going to prosecute the, the previous president. That would be really, really strange. But Mueller accurately notes that is possible when you're not a sitting president anymore, you can get charged. And it's interesting to hear him note that, even though we sort of already knew that. Right. So along those same lines, did we learn anything new about this one major question that sort of looms over the entire report, which is whether Mueller would have charged Trump if not for the Justice Department policy for a sitting president? Yeah, we didn't. We we thought he had revealed that in response to this Ted Lieu question, where he's asked that, like, so you're saying that... Uh, the OLC opinion stopped you from indicting Trump. And Mueller says, yes, but then he goes back and clarifies, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. And I don't think that's a question we can learn the answer to because what I heard Mueller say today was they just never did the things 
they would need to do to make that decision. Like they never had the debate. Do we have the evidence? Is it in the interest of justice to charge the president? At some point, and it's not clear when, they decided we can't decide. We're not going to decide. We can still investigate, but we're not going to decide, even amongst ourselves, whether the evidence is there. So they didn't. So Mueller can't answer the question. So we didn't learn anything about that today, even though for a moment we, we thought we did. So Republicans have repeatedly questioned the origins of the Russia probe for a long time, very publicly. Did Mueller provide any new information about the origins of his investigation? He really did not. On that question, he very assiduously avoided it, just wouldn't go there outside his purview. There was a lot of questions about the dossier and and its role in in the origins, about other peripheral kind of characters, he just wouldn't go anywhere close to that, which is a little disappointing because I, even I have questions about the origins of the probe, just as a, you know, you've covered this story for a long time. How did this all start? Let's get very clear answers to that, but Mueller just wasn't going there. And the probe started but way before he came on board. It started kind of the summer before he comes on board in May of 2017. Was that the reason he gave for not wanting to weigh in? Well, sort of. He uh, The reason he gave is this broad Justice Department prohibition from talking about internal deliberations on some of them. He did say that it predated his time. Um, it's, But that's not to say he couldn't have spoken to this. Like, surely he subsumed that investigation. He knows about it. But he said it was covered by deliberative process. Some of it relates to ongoing cases. So he just didn't go there for a variety of reasons. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. So during the House Intel hearing, there was a notable moment when Mueller pushed back against Trump's longstanding criticism of his work as a as a witch hunt, a term we've heard Trump use many times. He's tweeted many times under questioning from Representative Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. Well, your investigation is not a witch hunt, is it? It is not a witch hunt. Is that the first time we've publicly heard Mueller dispute Trump's claim about the report? It's the first time we've heard him dispute the claim so directly and particularly on the issue of witch hunt. If you look interior to the report, there seem to be some fairly direct disputes of Trump. So Trump always says no collusion. Well, the report says, hey, we didn't even assess collusion. We were looking at a criminal conspiracy. But, I mean, again, to hear Mueller so forcefully and so directly take this catchphrase that the president has coined and say, no, it was not a witch hunt. That was a remarkable moment. Certainly the first time we heard Mueller do something, you know, just like that. So in an exchange during the House Intelligence Committee hearing, with this time with Congressman Quigley. This WikiLeaks is like a treasure trove. Donald Trump, October 31st, 2016. Boy, I love reading those WikiLeaks. Donald Trump, November 4th, 2016. Do any of those quotes disturb you, Mr. Director? I'm not certain I would say. Uh, How do you react to that? Uh, well, uh, it's probably tr- problematic is, is an understatement. It seems like a strong opinion for Mueller, especially after watching him withhold all day long, have halting responses. Is it significant? 
I think extremely. I thought that and the witch hunt moment and some of his general comments on Russian interference and concern about Russian interference were the most notable of the entire hearing. That problematic statement is notable in its own right if he had just sort of stopped it there and said, you know, problematic is an understatement. But then he goes on. It's an understatement in terms of what it displays, in terms of uh, uh, giving some... Uh, I don't know, hope or some boost to what is and should be illegal activity. WikiLeaks is, in Mueller's view, I guess, a criminal actor, and this is like someone propping them up. So while that might not be criminal in its own right, I mean, you're allowed to have free speech. You can praise a criminal, I guess. Um, Mueller sees that very distastefully, and I think that's going to be a soundbite that Democrats are going to be able to play over and over because uh, it is really like coming after President Trump for things he said. Yeah, which is is very unusual for for Robert Mueller. So one other newsy moment late in the intel hearing came when Mueller said that he could have served a subpoena to compel Trump to interview in person, but he knew that the president would fight it and it would prolong the probe overall. Is that an admission in a way that the tactics of Trump's legal team sort of won, if you will, against Mueller, at least in terms of the fight over an in-person interview? I don't think he would frame it as an admission, but I definitely see it that way. The way he describes it is they embark on negotiations with Trump soon after Mueller takes over the investigation and getting an interview is a big thing for them. And he also concedes like we had the authority. This wasn't a case of the Justice Department saying, whoa, 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 subpoenaing the president is a step too far. He said we, we could have done and he's asked specifically, did Rosenstein or Matt Whitaker, who was an attorney general during this time period, Jeff Sessions, did they ever stop you? No, no, no. We could have done it. But the rest of his description is essentially them getting outfoxed. Trump delays, delays, delays. They're in negotiations. And then at some point, it becomes clear that Trump isn't going to sit down. Now you're already many months or years down the road. Uh, if you subpoena him, they know Trump will fight. And that could push the investigation for even more potentially months or years. And now they have this tough call. Do they fight out this battle for potentially more months or years? Or do they just settle with the evidence they have on the president's what you're hoping to accomplish in an interview with Trump is seeing what's on his mind because intent is an element of the obstruction case. They, but they have a lot of that evidence already because Trump tweets so much. He talks so much. Um, there's so many witnesses that can describe the optics of how this all, how all of these obstructive episodes go down. So he decides, look, we've got a lot of evidence already. This is going to drag out for potentially months or years. Trying to balance those two things, we decide we're not going to issue a subpoena. And that's notable. And it does seem like a, a bit of a surrender. Yeah. And he even mentioned in the hearings that there's nothing quite like an in-person interview when it comes to an investigation. Yeah. He said that, you know, obviously, so Trump ends up submitting written answers to questions. And he's, he has already said in his report that those answers are inadequate. And he says pointedly, of course, an interview would be preferable. Okay. So we've gone through a bunch of major moments. Is there anything else that stood out to you? Hmm. Well, you know, another thing that stood out to me that I think Republicans are seizing on is Mueller's demeanor and some of his stumbles. So in the first hearing, the House Judiciary Committee hearing, there's this really notable moment when he's just asked a, one of these bio questions about his being appointed as a, the top prosecutor up in the Northeast. Um, and he's asked, you know, which president appointed you? And he can't remember which president appointed him. Um, he says it was Bush. It was actually Reagan. Um, it's, it's kind of a remarkable moment, like, wow, what, what is going on here? And Republicans 
Republicans are using some stumbles like that to say, this guy wasn't plugged into the investigation at all. This was just a bunch of angry Democrats. That's you know one of the terms that they have used throughout the case to attack his team. So I think some of his stumbles are going to get played by Republicans over and over to say this guy was disengaged from, from the investigation. We're already seeing that kind of reaction on the conservative side. So that was a notable thing to me, too. And at this point, does our reporting give any credence to that? Was he uninvolved? Uh, we don't have any reporting to support that he was was uninvolved. But truth be told, his operation was a pretty tightly run ship. It's not like we have super great windows into everything that happened there day to day. He conceded today that he was involved in only a few interviews. But that, of course, would be totally normal. You know, our editors here aren't involved in reporters' interviews, and he is like the editor-in-chief over there. Mm -hmm. So um, we don't have reporting. That is a target for us. Um, and certainly it's a thing that Republicans are going to bring up. So maybe now his team will reveal a little bit more about his day-to-day -day role to tamp down some of this criticism. Okay. And as this was happening and since it's concluded, have we seen any reaction from President Trump? We saw a pre-reaction. We saw a during reaction and after the fact reaction where he said something like truth is a force of nature. So uh, Trump, who said, maybe I'll watch it, maybe I won't, clearly seemed to be plugged in. He seemed to have a whole apparatus. His lawyers are responding all day, criticizing Mueller, criticizing his team as biased. Trump was doing the same thing. Before the hearing started, Trump was attacking Mueller's deputy who appeared with him. I mean, Republicans have just brought the House out to criticize Mueller and to spin this thing favorably towards them. Um, and I'm sure uh, it will continue. So as we look at this as a whole and we think about where the Republicans and Democrats started, let's start with the Republicans. Sure. Did they sort of meet their expectations? Did they achieve their goals? I would say Yes and no. No in the sense that they did not get any new information on the origins of the probe. They did not get kind of any more dirt that they can throw on the probe. You know, they raised a lot of their points, but Mueller just deflected. But yes in the sense that they avoided the damage from, from Mueller reading out loud obstruction passages. They, you know, Democrats in some ways really failed there. It was not kind of the bombshell that they maybe would have hoped for. So in that way, Republicans did accomplish their goal, though I don't know that it was really any of their doing. It was mostly Bob Mueller's doing and Bob Mueller's not wanting to be a pawn in this political game. And in terms of the Democrats, did they gain anything to help them make a case towards impeachment or make a decision not to move forward with impeachment hearings? I would think the Democrats who are most pro-impeachment might be a little disappointed because they didn't really get any new facts that they can hang their hat on. And while they got some sound bites, they didn't even get a whole bevy of Mueller digging into the obstruction episodes that are in the report. So I don't think the needle on impeachment, I definitely don't think it moved towards pro in any respect. Did it move the other way? Possibly. This was such a critical witness. So for the Democrats, you really, really wanted to go extremely well. And I don't think you can say it did for them. I, that isn't to say it's any of their personal failure. But Mueller just didn't want to be used by them in that way. And he sort of made sure that he wasn't. And so they kind of are where they are. Does it help them make a case that they're fulfilling their oversight duties by bringing Mueller specifically in to, to testify? Certainly it could. And I think now that he's out of the way, now that they have this big 
witness that the public was clamoring to have testify out of the way. Maybe they can intensify their fights on some of the actual witnesses in his case, like Don McGahn and like Annie Donaldson. The administration has stifled them from doing that so far, but maybe they can press those battles in court. And maybe they see, you know, Mueller is a prosecutor, right? He and his team of investigators interviewed actual witnesses. Actual witnesses can describe these things in firsthand terms that are maybe a lot more moving. So I would I would expect Democrats will turn their focus to them. They have already and they've been stymied. But now that they have Mueller out of the way, um, they got to figure out they got to figure out what's next. All right, Matt, my final question to you. Is there anything we learned today that helps us understand the larger significance of this report? Mueller hopes this document has historical significance, that it survives history. And one of the big things that he hoped it drove home is that foreign adversaries, in particularly Russia, are out to meddle in our elections. And we really need to do something about that. And he even said something like, that has been a really underplayed aspect of the report. So I think Bob Mueller hopes people will read his report with a new eye on that, that set aside Trump and the politics of this. Russia tried to mess around with who is our president, and that is important. And I think Bob Mueller hopes that we as Americans, Republicans, Democrats, could all focus on that, on a foreign country trying to mess around with who is our president. In the short term, it is very hard to focus on that because Trump is the president and uh, you know there was a very practical um, consequence of the election, though Mueller assiduously avoided saying uh, because of the efforts Trump is now president. But I think it's it's hard in the moment to think about how we will view this in five years or 10 years. But I think if Mueller had to make that call, then we would view it in the in terms of a foreign nation tried to meddle in our presidential election. And that's wrong. And he hopes that this would kind of refocus the whole country on that. All right. Well, well we start a new round of elections in about eight months. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. Matt, thank you so much, especially after the day you've had. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? For more takeaways and analysis from a day of Mueller hearings, visit WashingtonPost.com. Thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the dedicated Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover, from global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com.